Hello, my favorite friends. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Jesse Fritz and I'm the host here on the Chronically Healing Podcast. If you are new, thank you so much for stopping by and I can't wait for you to hear today's podcast with Danny Fusaro. So Danny is a doctor of physical therapy. She also has a degree in athletic training, is a coach and a disabled model. So Danny and I talk about her experience with chronic illness, how she is helping people now with her coaching, and so much more. We dove so much into her experience and how things have been in her life, and I can't wait for y'all to listen to today's podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whichever podcast network is your favorite, and leave us a review as well because that will help us grow and continue to get into the ears of so many people out there in this chronic illness space. We want to send out love, positivity, and strength in community to those in the chronic illness space. And I know that that's why you're listening to the Chronically Healing Podcast. And the more people we can reach and touch is the better. So without further ado and without more rambling from moi, let's jump in to Danny's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Chronically Healing Podcast. My name is Jesse Fritz, and I am so excited to have Danny Fusaro on the show. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. So um, I'm excited to, to jump in. We kind of chatted a little bit before this got started. So before we got into too much of the conversation, <laughs> I wanted to get going over here. So why don't you tell people a little bit about who you are, what you do, just who is Danny? So there are kind of a lot of components to that because I do a bunch of different things, but I am a physical therapist. I went to school for PT and I actually got very sick during PT school and kind mm -hmm. of dragged myself through it. And I actually got to a place where I was beginning to accept that I couldn't work clinical PT because it's exhausting cognitively, emotionally, and physically, like it hits everyone. And I was like, there's no way I can stand in a clinic. So I started my own business with mindset and lifestyle coaching for other people with chronic illness. And then COVID happened and everyone was doing telehealth. And my old physical therapist actually reached out to me and he wanted me to join their team to treat other people with chronic illness through telehealth, which is possible for me because I can do that from my bed when I really need to. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of do a bunch of different things because I wasn't expecting PT to fall back in my lap, but I'm really glad that it did. And I also am very active on Instagram and social media, just sharing my life with chronic illness and, you know, not just the chronic illness part, but also things I'm passionate about and like to do. And it's really focused on how I've made changes to be able to live my life better or how I approach things differently than I used to. Like it's not a medical journal type of account. It's mm -hmm. here's a sick person making the most out of their life account. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I follow you. I love following your content. So, um, highly recommend Thank you. But <laughs> what, so what are, I know that you deal with 
a few different chronic symptoms, right? So what are some mm-hmm. of your chronic illnesses that you deal with? And maybe even talk a little bit about what some of them are for those that might not know. Sure. So the main one, I have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. So that is a genetic connective tissue disorder that creates faulty collagen. So all of my tissues are more fragile and loose and it causes a bunch of other illnesses. Um, My main ones, I'm sure other people on your podcast have heard of this one, but it's postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, Mm -hmm. which just causes a lot of fatigue, dizziness, blackouts, lightheadedness, trouble standing, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then one, well, I guess the two that affect me the most, one is called mast cell activation syndrome. Mm -hmm. And essentially my immune system is hyperactive and it's responding to normal things like scents and food as if my body is in danger or it's an allergen. So Mm. it has created a lot of food allergies. I can't tolerate a lot of scents, different things like that. Um, And that has significantly affected my diet. And then the other one is spinal instability. So the top of my spine and my neck was unstable and compressing my brine's brine, my brainstem <laughs> and my spinal cord. And I actually had to have two neurosurgeries in the past year and a half to kind of stabilize my spine and fix all of that stuff. So that's yeah. kind of the main things that I deal with. Yeah. And all of those seem to, you know, affect daily quote unquote normal activities like standing or walking or, you know, just things like that where the other people maybe don't even think about. How did you, um, I know you said you started getting, or maybe you started getting sick before, but you were, you got sick in PT school. How did you Mm -hmm. even like come to get diagnosis? How did that process go for you? That was really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, because I actually, I pretty much relapsed because I got Lyme disease again. And I, I had it when I was very little, like four years old. And then I got it again and we were treating that and I wasn't getting better and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And it took probably three and a half years for me to be diagnosed with EDS. And then another either year and a half or two years for them to figure out I have an immune deficiency. Mm -hmm. And that's why I kept getting Lyme disease and couldn't clear it. So I didn't even realize I had EDS until I was 25 and about two years out from PT school. So I kind of knew I had POTS then. I actually Mm -hmm. knew I had POTS when I was 13 Mm-hmm. but I wasn't diagnosed until I was 21, maybe. Wow. And then um, I kind of thought I had Lyme throughout PT school. And then when I wasn't getting better, I knew that something else was going on, but I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And it took quite a while after that for doctors to figure it out. Mm-hmm. 
What did you, or, and what do you do now, I guess, to, to kind of keep you feeling your best? I feel like that's a, I, as I was saying it, I'm like, this is a huge question, <laughs> but like, what are some things that kind of keep you going and keep you feeling your best? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it and when it comes down to it, the biggest things are acceptance and right. pacing. Mm-hmm. So the way I approach things, I would say 90% of the time, because obviously I have off days like everyone does, but I don't try and force my body to do something I know it can't do. Right. So for example, I never have client appointments or anything before 12 p.m. Mm-hmm. because it takes me a few hours in the morning to be up and functional and able to be present in the way that people deserve. And if I did it earlier, I would not show up as the person they deserve to be speaking to. Right. So setting different hard boundaries like that. And then I make sure I stop working by 5, 5.30 max. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I often actually do some a little computer work from my bed later in the night, but I make sure I'm like doing small chunks and taking breaks. And then um, as far as pacing goes, I'm not perfect at it, but I'm much better than I used to be. And what that means, I'm sure you know, but a lot of people listening might not realize. And it's approaching everything and looking at it like as if, how can I make this easier? Mm. And that comes down to, I started having breakfast. It's hot rice cereal, super thrilling. (laughs) Um, But it's like oatmeal. Mm. And what I started doing is I'm like, okay, the morning I'm the worst. I'm super dizzy. I can't really do anything. I don't want to have to cook breakfast because it wipes me out. So what can I do with this? Mm -hmm. And I started prepping mason jars once a week with everything I needed in it. So in the morning, I can just stick the water in, put it in the microwave, and it's done. And then um, I make a big batch of rice every few days. I cook like three to four sweet potatoes at a time and leave the rest in the fridge. Like I kind of batch cook what I can and prep things when... I'm feeling better like during my good parts of the day Mm -hmm. to make the bad parts easier. Mm -hmm. And then it's other simple things like if you have a doctor's appointment and physical therapy and you have to make food, you probably shouldn't also shower that day. (laughs) You know, like don't run yourself into the ground because you're trying to be the person you're not anymore Mm -hmm. because you're going to crash and then you're going to be upset that you're not that person. Whereas if you just spread things out and split them up, you're actually able to do more than you were if like burning yourself out because you're just preventing that burnout. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the biggest changes I've made. 
Yeah. I think that that, that kind of ties in with what you're saying about acceptance too. Just like, I think that acceptance can be such an uphill battle. And if any Mm -hmm. of us like remember our previous self or can look at pictures of when we used to be able to do something, or maybe we thought we used to be able to do something, but we couldn't. And then we pushed ourselves (laughs) a little too much. It's, it's hard. Like acceptance can be hard to be like, okay, this, this is what I can do right now. And this might be what I can do forever. And I think, especially living in the type of like society that we do, I do think that things have slightly shifted with COVID, but, um, Mm -hmm. just people feel like they have to be constantly hustling. Like for you, like you have your own business. I have my own business. Like most people, it's like the hustle grind culture. Like if you have your own business, if you're an entrepreneur, you need to be working all the time. And, and I'm over here, like, I can't do that. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. how, how did you work through acceptance? And sometimes I think that's like a a chronic part of your healing journey is accepting where you are every day, but how, how has that been for you? Yeah. So like you said, acceptance was initially an uphill battle and it's also it's not linear so there are days where I'm just like f this I'm over it yeah um but I'm overall like trending upwards I guess Mm -hmm. but it was really really hard I mean I was in denial for a while because we thought it was just Lyme disease. So I was like, okay, we can cure the Lyme and I'll be better. Mm -hmm. And then I wasn't getting better. And it was like, okay, I'm going to keep fighting for answers because then when we find an answer, we'll be able to fix it. And I can go back to running and doing all the things I used to be able to do. Right. And then it was like, it was just more time was going by and I kept planning for certain things or being like, oh, by February, I'll be able to go back to bar class. And by September, I'll be able to jog again. Mm -hmm. And as those dates kind of kept passing me and passing me, each one was devastating. And there was just like all of this grief because I was kind of in purgatory because I didn't know what was happening and I was supposed to be getting better but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I kind of realized it was a little before I was diagnosed with EDS, when I realized that I'm like, something is wrong with me. And I don't think it's going to get fully better. Mm -hmm. But I was mad about it. Mm. I was like, I could objectively see it. But I also was just like, I hate this. I don't want to deal with it. No one understands me. My -hmm. life is so much harder than everyone else. Like Mm -hmm. all of those things. And it, I would say the worst of it was probably a year and a half, two years long ish. And then I was home with my parents for almost three years before I started working again. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't doing anything. Um, I was taking care of my body. Like I was doing PT, I was walking, like taking my meds, going to appointments, all of those things I was doing. But when I say I wasn't doing anything, like I wasn't working, I wasn't 
independent because I couldn't always cook and all those things. And I just got to a point where I was just exhausted from feeling that way. Mm. And it was a combination of that. And also a few people I looked looked up to and their perspective. And I was like, how can I be like that? Mm-hmm. And two of the big ones were her name's Kayla. It's fight to breathe. If you mm-hmm. follow her, no, she's, she's awesome. She has CF. She's had two double lung transplants. Like she's wow. incredible. And, um, the other one is Claire Wineland. Mm-hmm. And have, do you know her? I don't think so, but I'm like the worst with names. (laughs) Okay. She also had CF. She unfortunately passed away in 2018, but she was this huge public speaker. And the way she spoke, it just really hit me because all she talked about was how you can be suffering and happy at the same time. Mm. And as society, we tell people that sick people are supposed to be miserable and they don't have value. Mm -hmm. And Claire would just be like, what, like, how are we supposed to live when you're telling us we don't have value just because our bodies don't work as well. It doesn't mean we can't give back something or have a lot of symptoms and still have a incredible experiences. And that really hit me because I was just like, okay, if I'm going to be dealing with this indefinitely, I need to do something about it because I can't stay like this forever. Right. So I just slowly started shifting my social media a lot um, with like who I followed and who I engaged Mm. with. And I made sure that my close friends were people who they didn't have to be like healthier than me or necessarily doing more than me by any means, but I made sure they were people who had drive and were motivated and were trying to come to terms with their circumstances in order to do something. Mm-hmm. And I changed all of those things and just slowly worked through it. And I also really had to work through, um, which therapy helped this as well, of course. But when I was first sick, I didn't know what the heck was going on. So I was looking for validation and I was trying to get it from everywhere but myself. Mm. And when I turn that around and realize that I don't need validation from anyone because I know that I'm sick and my health is legitimate. And if people don't believe it, that's their problem. Right. I was able to accept things a lot more and not that I made myself seem sicker than I was, by any means, but it's more like that feeling where for the people around you to believe you're really suffering, you have to be miserable and look like it. Mm -hmm. I struggled with that. And have you experienced that? 
Yes, I have. I was actually yeah. having a conversation with my husband about this the other day. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of had to be like, okay, but what if I didn't do that? Mm. And what if I just educated my parents and friends and tried to help them understand mm -hmm. instead of doing that and making myself miserable all the time. So it was just slowly doing those things. And then it was also strengthening my relationships with my healthy friends mm. because they were people who knew me before I was really sick. So they really helped me connect with things I loved, like going to coffee shop, coffee shops and concerts and different things like that. So I started just living my life, even though it was hard. Mm -hmm. And kind of all of those things helped me come to a much better place and eventually got me to where I am now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I know for, for me, I struggled a lot with, um, I kept a lot of stuff to myself. So mm. not only was I invisibly ill, people weren't seeing, you know, I wasn't bleeding from my arm every day, but <laughs> I, you know, I also wasn't fully telling people my experience because I kind of grew up in a space where like, unless you got 104 fever, like <laughs> you're fine. So mm -hmm. for me, I had to get better at telling people how I was truly feeling, but that caveat, like not going over the line of just like, I'm miserable. My life is awful because it wasn't helpful for me either to, to think that, but it, I got better at just being like, you know, when I was telling someone like I have a migraine or I'm having really bad brain fog today and they didn't know what they, that meant. Like you said before, I educated them on what that meant. And I educated them the difference between a migraine and a headache. I remember a previous boss of mine used to always tell me like, Oh, I work with headaches all the time. You're fine because I was calling them a headache. And I was like, well, migraine is different. Here's the difference. Like kind of educating people who care about you or who you're with mm -hmm. a lot of like what, what you mean when you talk about some of this stuff, because when I'm talking to all of everybody listening on the podcast, they probably know what brain fog is. They probably know what a migraine is, but my aunt who, who has no idea what the heck brain fog is, is not going to be able to um, support me in the way that I wish she would. I'm just making up an aunt, by the mm -hmm. way. but you know, until I explain what my experience is and even just other people, like other people experience brain fog or pain or whatever in different ways. So I think, yeah, that education piece is helpful, um, in, in your relationships for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know you're doing mindset coaching. So how did you get into that and how do you help people? So that, that was kind of, I didn't even entirely think of it myself. Mm. A lot of other people actually told me to do it. Mm -hmm. And like my, I saw my PT twice a week for over a year and a half. So I was really, really close with her and she saw all the changes in me and also just saw, you know, I'm very much an old soul and mm. I am emotionally intelligent for my age and just different little things like that. And mm -hmm. she was like, 
you are meant to help other chronically ill Mm. people. And she was like, you should do this and give back. I think you'd be really good at it. And at first I was like, no, like I'm good. I'm (laughs) working towards getting back to PT, like blah, blah, blah. And then I think my mom actually said it. And then another one of my family members said it and kind of around the time when I was just like, okay, I don't think I can do clinical PT. I think I want to do this because I can make that my own business that works well with my body. Mm -hmm. So um, I obviously already had all of the lived experiences and tools and things like that to help other people, but there's no like life coaching course to help mm-hmm. people with chronic illness, really, because it's not health coaching. Right. And like, I don't go over people's diets, really. And um, so I worked with a business coach for about a year. And then I also did a couple sessions with a girl who's my close friend now, because she does chronic illness mindset and lifestyle coaching, mm-hmm. just to make sure that I was prepared to show up for people in the way that they deserved because I knew I had a lot of value to give, but I also wanted to make sure that I was giving everything I should have been. And after like towards the end of 2020, I felt like I was really ready. Mm -hmm. And that's when I kind of launched everything. Mm. I love that. I think that it's so important for those of us in the chronic illness space to, in whatever way we feel called to, if, and maybe, and maybe not every single person, but to just share our experience. And I think that that is what's creating a great movement in the space of more support and more just awareness of what's going on. I think it's really important that um, in whatever way possible, whether that's just connecting with someone else or telling someone your experience or being mm-hmm. able to help and coach people through through that journey is is really helpful. I wish that I would have had someone when I was, you know, first getting started. And and I've had a few like Me practitioners. Too. Right. Like I've had a few practitioners when I first got started who um, focused more on like nutrition um, and things like that, which are really important, but having that mindset component is really helpful. And just having someone there who knows what you're going through in some way, even if it's not the exact same illness, it's really mm-hmm. helpful. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you're working with someone who doesn't have chronic illness, they're not going to be able to break things down as well as someone who has it in terms of just people's daily routine. I like really dig into that because what I was talking about earlier, it's like, how can we make this easier? And um, just little things like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're exhausting yourself doing this. Can your parents maybe do that for you or Mm -hmm. little things that end up making big changes. And then of course, you know, people feel more comfortable sharing their experience when they know it's a shared experience and they're not just trying to educate someone or worried that they won't 
validate them or say something upsetting and all of those things. So I honestly really wish that there were more people like my friend and I out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's a great space to be in. And, and I know, for example, my husband is a life coach, but he focuses, um, not on chronic illness. However, he has Mm -hmm. chronic symptoms and it's been helpful even for me, although, you know, he's my husband, so I don't let him coach me very often (laughs) because I think that I'm smarter than him, but he is really helpful with some of his techniques because, um, because he has that background, but he, Mm -hmm. even though he's not focusing on chronic illness, but it's still helpful. Like you're saying to work with someone who just gets it, you know, it's just, it's Mm -hmm. so much easier to share that experience. Even for me, I've had the best experiences working with coaches or, um, like what are they called? Like functional nutritionists, things like that, Mm -hmm. who have also had chronic illness. And a lot of them have, that's kind of why they got into that industry. And one of the, the functional nutritionists that I worked with had Hashimoto's, which is what I deal with. And I did like the most work with her because she just understood what I was Mm -hmm. going through versus like my naturopath who I love. I love my naturopath to death, but she doesn't deal with chronic illness. So personally, so it was just different experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, we kind of touched on this a little bit in and out, but if you were talking to someone who, you know, just got sick or is kind of at that point where they're like, I haven't been diagnosed yet. I don't know what to do. How, how would you say it would be best for someone to start on their acceptance journey or like, what would you, what tips might you give them? I mean, I think it's so variable depending on the person, but the first thing I actually encourage is for people to let themselves grieve Mm. because a lot of us don't, we are everyone in society is we're not used to or comfortable with sitting with our emotions Mm. and to the extent that it's safe for someone. And what I mean by that is like, I don't want to encourage people to become suicidal by their thoughts or have panic attacks. Like that's not healthy, but to the extent they can safely allow themselves to feel things, I encourage them to take time to feel those things and to be upset about them because, you know, there are certain things that you're never going to accept, right? Like, for example, I played soccer my entire life. And when I still like really think about it, I cry almost every time. Right. And it actually makes me laugh now because I just laugh that I cry every (laughs) single time. (laughs) but it's just like people don't let themselves grieve Mm -hmm. and it's really working through whichever barriers that they have and unfortunately you know they're they're various ones right like people are looking for validation from someone else especially when they're undiagnosed which is so valid Mm -hmm. But it's figuring out a way to get them to realize you 
determine your validation, not somebody else. And it's different things like something that's really helped me just in my life in general is that you can control yourself and how you think about yourself. And if someone, the way someone responds to you Mm. is due to their own conditioning, right? right? And if they don't respond well, it's not your problem. Mm. And that takes time to be comfortable with. And there are certain situations where like it, things definitely get to me, but it really helped me with like interactions with people who I'm not super close with, or like maybe I'm at a family reunion and people say something really insensitive. I'm like, okay, well they have no idea. So I don't care what they said. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, when you're first early on, it's just reducing things that make you miserable like that Mm -hmm. and bringing yourself back to the now also. So things like journaling, meditation, even just like reading or doing something, whatever that person likes to do for them, because if you're too focused on the future, you're going to be panicking and freaking out about how it's uncertain. Mm-hmm. And if you're stuck in the past, you're going to be upset and miserable and grieving and fighting against everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can bring your thinking back to the present and just be like, okay, what do I need to do for me today? Mm. And do those things. And then the next day, when you catch yourself, freaking out again it's like okay what can I do what am I supposed to do today I have to see this doctor I need to take these meds and maybe I'll go for a walk Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of training yourself and practicing um to do that yeah I think that's so important and and with validation too I think um working in a little bit of gratitude for what you can Mm -hmm. do is really helpful. I know for me, um, well, first of all, it's twofold for me. One of the biggest symptoms I have with my Hashimoto's is just like extreme unexplained weight gain that I can't Mm. do anything with. And sometimes it was hard for me to grieve that or to, um, talk about it with other people because I, I was like, I have this podcast where I talk to you, all these wonderful people with chronic illness who deal with way worse symptoms than weight gain. You know, like I deal with mm-hmm. other symptoms too, but it was also stepping away and being like, okay, they do. And I want to support those people, but I also can support myself in my symptoms and what bothers and affects me. And I'm, I'm allowed to feel mm-hmm. that it doesn't, just because someone else has a worse quote unquote symptom than me doesn't mean that mine aren't valid. And for me, it was really helpful to think about it in that way and just like separate it, but then to be grateful for what I do have. Like, I'm grateful that today I was able to do a bike workout or today I was able to do this. And at the end of the day, if I don't get done with all the things I had wanted to do, I'm grateful that I was able to do those few things that I, that I had hoped to, or a couple extra. So 
the gratitude and the like validation for your own self versus mm-hmm. whatever everybody else is going through, I think is helpful, right? Yeah. Gratitude is huge. And, um, I do actually talk a lot to people about that validation piece that you were just saying. And it's, it's, you know, that saying, if someone drowns in one foot of water and they drown in six feet of water, right. well, they still drowned, right? Like they're both still dead, <laughs> yes. you know? Yeah. And it's really hard because people are looking for validation from everywhere. And sometimes people are really affected by the chronic illness community mm-hmm. because maybe they're not as sick as me even, or other people they're seeing online. So they feel like they don't belong there Mm -hmm. because they're too healthy for the sick community and too sick for the non-disabled community. And that's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of talk around that validation as well, because it's, Mm -hmm. it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what we're talking about with all of this too, is understanding that neither you nor I, I'm assuming are perfect all the time. Like there are never, right. Like there's just days where you're like, you know what? I am accepting of where I'm at. I feel good about this. And then there's days that I'm in front of the mirror crying, or I can't remember what I was think or what I was saying two seconds ago. And I get super flustered during a client meeting or something like that. So it's, it's just, it's a journey. It's constantly changing. There will be different things that will come in and out and understanding that everybody in the chronic illness space, I promise you, no one is perfect. No one is feeling perfect and accepting where they're at every single day. It's just not possible. Right. And that is actually a huge piece of what I talk to people about as well. Mm -hmm. And what I talk about on Instagram a lot too, and that allowing yourself to have those days is what helps you accept things more. Mm -hmm. Because if you just push that down and push that down and push that down, that's just going to eat away at you. Whereas if you're just like, okay, I'm going to take a day Like, Mm -hmm. this is my day to cry and watch Grey's Anatomy all day and like Mm -hmm. eat ice cream or whatever it is you need to do. But as you grow with acceptance and learning how to cope with your circumstances, the change comes from how well you can pick yourself back up. Mm -hmm. So it's really allowing yourself to fall down, quote unquote, and then bringing yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can't deny that because like you said, every, it happens to everyone, Mm. but just also being accepting of that and allowing that to happen is a huge piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so if people were interested in following you on Instagram or working with you, what would be the best way that they could do that? They can follow me at Days with Danny Nicole. And in the link in my bio, there's like a way you can apply for coaching or they they can message me directly or mm-hmm. send me an email at Danny at Days with Danny Nicole.com. Any of those are good. 
Cool. I'll have all those links in the show notes too, for anybody that um, can click that easily. But, but yeah, that's always helpful for those that are listening just in their car or something wandering around. Um, Perfect. One other question I like to ask people, which we kind of talked about earlier, but specifically toward maybe taking care of like your mental, emotional, self-love type of stuff. Like what are, what are a few things that you like to do? Maybe not daily, but like, I don't know, daily, weekly that kind of keep you feeling your best. Oh yeah. Um, so my morning routine is Mm -hmm. very important to me. Mm -hmm. I typically am not on my phone at all. And I just allow myself to slowly get up and I actually will like watch a show while I'm eating my breakfast and I always do my oil pulling Mm. and then um, I'll do gratitude journaling, regular journaling. Sometimes I'll read and it just allows me to get up without like being inundated with social media or the news or something like that. So that's kind of my daily way. And then a little thing that's also daily is skincare mm. because that was some that in hair care I really latched on to pretty early on because I couldn't control anything, but I can control whether or not I washed my face because mm. I was doing that anyway. So mm. I'm like, oh, I started to put a little more effort and care into my skincare because really like hair care is exhausting sometimes, but mm-hmm. skincare isn't bad. Yeah. So that was something that I used to take back a little bit of control. And then something that I definitely can't do daily, but I try to do weekly or every other week is create content. Mm. And that just like taking photos and having a vision come to life that is where I really connect to my power because, you know, illness, you feel powerless, you can't control things. And that is something where I'm like, okay, I'm going to put makeup on. I'm going to wear this outfit. We're going to do this. And it just makes me, it gets me out of my head and it gets me focused on art and expressing myself. And that just, it, is like my favorite thing to do. And if I could do it every day, I would. Mm. And creating awesome photos is what just made me feel like me and made me feel like a person with an illness instead of a diagnosis. Mm. So those are kind of all of the things that I do. Yeah. I love that. And I wrote, I wrote that down to like finding ways to connect to your power. Like, Mm -hmm. even if it's something like you're saying that you can't do it every day and that's, that's okay. But when, when you can just being like fully present and really stepping into whatever it is that you love to do, it can be just so powerful and feel so empowering. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. So is there anything else you would like to tell the listeners of the podcast today? Um, I guess when it comes down to it, and we've kind of been talking about this the whole time, but I just want to reiterate that anyone with chronic illness or chronic symptoms, you're suffering in one way, but it doesn't mean that you don't have value and that Mm -hmm. 
you can't contribute to the world and society and have a great life. Um, Obviously, your life is going to be harder in a lot of ways, but it doesn't mean that you can't live a happy life. And that's something I just really express to people and emphasize because we talked about this a little bit, but it's just like, we're not told that we can live a life with an illness. It's being told that we're going to be miserable forever mm-hmm. or trying to fix us. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with who we are as a person. Our body doesn't work that well, but we are at our core are not a problem that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And I just want everyone to remember that they are incredible exactly as they are, who they are. And there is more out there for them than just dealing with symptoms every single day. Yeah. I love that. Perfect way to end the show. Thank you so much for being on today. I'm sure everybody's going to love this podcast and they can connect with you over on Instagram. Of course. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. And that's a wrap on today's episode of the Chronically Healing Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it. Make sure you come over to Instagram and tell me how much you enjoyed today's episode. My handle is jessie underscore underscore fritz, which you can always find on my website or in the show notes. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. I know I say this all the time, but it's super helpful in helping the podcast grow and getting the types of people that you want to hear from on the podcast. So thanks again for listening, and I will see you in the next episode.